Well, have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according to the multitude of thy tender mercy, blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly of my iniquities, and cleanse me of my sins. But create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Don't cast me from your presence, and don't take your spirit from me, but restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. And I'll be so careful to give you all the praise and all the glory. Spirit of the living God, have your way. In Jesus' name, let every man say amen. amen. Good, good morning, men. Good morning. Come on, brothers. Good morning, men. If you would, I know you've already greeted each other, but if you could do me a favor, I'm going to ask if you would just do some movement real quick. If you would just find two men that you have not spoken to or do not know, if you would just greet them with a handshake, with a high five, with a dab, whatever it is, with a chest bump, I just need you to move. I just need you to move. I need you to move. That's what I'm talking about. I'm going to ask you to do me one more favor, man. I know we're all seated and scheduled and hanging around men that we know, but if you could do me one honor, this would make me feel so good. It's all because this dude right here made the discouraging and disrespectful remark of wearing this ugly, tore up, absolutely horrific, sinful sweater. And he decided, oh, and these sweats. But the hat is nice, you keep the hat. So I need his butt to get off the front row. <laughs> so what I need, there you go, that's what I'm talking about. So I need you to sit with someone you're not sitting with, all right? I need you just to move. Sit with someone you're not sitting with on purpose, all right? So grab your Bible, grab your stuff, and I want, to, I want us to look like the church universal, not individual churches. You dig what I'm saying? So if you would just sit with someone you are not sitting with, I did not come with, that'd be cool. That'd be cool. Just switch up. Just switch up. Just switch up. Today it's okay. Dodger fans can sit with Braves fans. It's all good. Just for, it's Jesus, bro. It's Jesus. It's good. There you go. There you go. There you go. And you still decide to sit on the front row. You still? On purpose? <laughs> Get on my nerves, man. God bless you, bro. I love you, man. I love you. <laughs> All right, God be the glory. Now let me hear the man say something, brothers. Let me hear you. I need some men to let out a good grunt, just grunt. Uh-uh, that, 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 that sounded too girly. I need a man to let out a grunt right now. Ugh. Yeah, that's Tim the Tool Man Taylor grunt. Some home improvement grunt. That's what I'm talking about, 90s. Grab your Bibles, brothers, real quick. Matthew chapter 17. Matthew chapter 17. We, we're we're going to try our best not to get extremely deep, but we have to get off the surface. I made some coffee this morning in my room, and I put the cream and I put the sugar in the coffee. Then I 
took off and went into the restroom to brush my teeth and to get myself kind of kind of ready, came back and drunk the coffee, got halfway, and I was like, this coffee tastes horrible. <laughs> well, I discovered that I forgot to stir the coffee. So the cream and the sugar was on the top, and it hadn't got to the bottom, and it got, hadn't blended in. So I don't want to get too deep, but I want to make sure that we're not surface level today. Y'all don't hear me, man. I told y'all talk back. I want to make sure that we get deep enough where we understand the nuances of the text without going over our head and trying to be too exegetical that now we miss everybody, all right? So let's do this. Everybody just stir the coffee real quick. That's what we're going to do. We're going to stir the coffee a little bit, and we're going uh, to kind of look and see what God says. Uh, Matthew chapter 17, verse 14. Stir it up. I like that. Uh, that's, that is some good coffee, bro. This is Hume coffee, not Starbucks. All right. Verse number 14. You all there? Let's look at it. Let's see what it says. When they reached the crowd, a man approached and kneeled down before Jesus. Lord, he said, have mercy on my son because he has seizures and suffers terribly. He often falls into the fire and into the water. I'm reading New Living Translation. Though I brought him to your disciples, but they couldn't heal him. And Jesus said, you unbelieving and perverse generation, talking to the disciples, how long will I be with you? How long must I put up with you? That's big. Bring the boy to me. And then Jesus rebuked the demon, and immediately it came out of him. And from that moment, the boy was healed. Let's keep going. Then the disciples approached Jesus privately. So they called for a private meeting in a private room. And they said, why couldn't we cast him out? Because of your little faith, he said. For I tell you, if you have the faith the size of a mustard seed, you will tell this mountain, move from here to there, and it will be moved. Nothing will be impossible for you. Some translations stop there. However, the original translation continues that says, however, this cannot be done without prayer and fasting. We'll stop right there. And just for today, for a few minutes, we'll highlight this idea that this mountain is personal. This mountain is personal. In the back, I was hanging out with uh, this awesome, ridiculous band that I am really trying my best not to try to take back to Fresno to St. Rest. Uh, and I love everyone. I love their energy. I love their excitement. But as I was sitting there, I was looking at Matt, uh, who was playing uh, the bass. And as I'm looking at him, his energy, I mean, he's moving front to back. He, he kind of looked black as he was, you know, moving. <laughs> had so much rhythm, like he was on beat too, you know. And I was like, oh, this dude is raw. But in the back, he said something that really uh, arrested me. It did. He was saying, as we were finishing our time in the back, he was saying uh, something about a, a decline, as you're... As you're in, in, in a plane, you ascend and then you descend towards the end, getting ready to land. And it immediately messed me up because it reminded me of what it truly means to have trust and faith in the Lord. And that's really what we're going to deal with for the most part today because when we descend from this mountain, whether that's tomorrow morning, tomorrow afternoon, or for some who are instructors and teachers, uh, will be today or this evening, and even to some of our pastors that may be here 
There are moments off this mountain as you're descending that you will have to deal with um, an extreme amount of demonic possession or spiritual warfare. Let me explain. Uh, It goes to a point where even Scripture says we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and spiritual wickedness and high places. And what Jesus is showing in this text is there is a difference when you're on a mountaintop and there's a difference when you're in the valley, when you leave a mountaintop experience. Remember last night we touched on Jesus taking these three, uh, these three unqualified men. He, he takes a cusser who can cuss up a breeze, and this is the dude that he ends up turning over the keys to the church, right? A cusser, a cat that really committed, in my opinion, probably the worst sin, even worse than Judas, because Judas betrays Jesus with a kiss But Peter denies that he even knows Jesus three times in his face. But yet and still the difference between the Judas and the Peter, which is a sermon that you probably could preach one day, Jason, is that Jesus prays for Peter but doesn't pray for Judas. Y'all don't hear me, man. He, He comes back to get Peter even to the point of telling the women at the tomb, go and tell the disciples and Peter that I have risen. And then when he sees Peter fishing as he returns back to his original trade before he knew the Lord. Uh, When he denies him, he then goes back to what he used to do before Jesus met him. That's another sermon. Jesus says, let me cook you a catfish breakfast. (laughs) Calls him off the boat. Peter jumps off naked. And then Jesus takes him and talks to him and three times asks him, do you love me? Significantly, it's really, he asked him, do you love me three times to mimic and mirror the three times he denied him? In order to relate, to show him that I don't have to speak about your sin. I just need to forgive you for the sin. And then hands the one disciple that claimed to be so close to him, but denies him the keys to the kingdom. And then he takes these two angry, temperamental men up on a mountain. One who would then receive the revelation at the conclusion of what we have called the Bible. Takes them on a mountain and shows them something that none of the other nine disciples could see. And while up on that mountaintop, please notice there is no enemy present. Because if any of you who are connected to mountain climbing, you know there is a certain line on a mountain called a snake line where certain creatures cannot exist because the altitude is too thin. So please understand, man, that this mountain that you're on, I said a little bit of it yesterday, excuse me, the Holy Spirit spoke on it last evening, that there is a reason why there is a lack of temptation on this mountain. It's because the altitude, not just physically, but in the spiritual realm, is so high, it's so thin that there are certain creatures that can exist up here. But please understand, you're not going to stay up here forever, brothers. It is not our calling to remain on this mountain. There's a reason why we took men up, because we have to go back to where ministry has to take place, where spiritual warfare is. And again, I'm not trying to get too deep, but I dare not want to just leave you with surface level cake pop kind of ministry. I don't want to give you a candy apple kind of vitamin C. 
I want you to have an apple, not cover it in candy because there's no nutrients. If we stay on this mountain and hang out with the two Jasons plus one, then all we are doing is escaping the ministry that we have down on the valley. We're not called to stay here. However, Jesus says something at the conclusion of the first half. He says, please don't tell the nine what you saw up here because they're not ready. Well, Jesus, how are they not ready? They're, they're a part of your circle. They're walking with you. He says, look, when you get a chance reading, when you get on, he says, dude, I, my cousin came. And they didn't even receive him. He was the Elijah that was prophesied in Malachi chapter 4. And they didn't even receive. If they didn't receive John the Baptist, why would they receive me? I say, get off this mountain. Chapter, chapter 17, verse, verse 14 says, they encounter a man who has a son. Please understand this, brothers, that all of us are going to be in one of these situations. Either we're going to be the disciples, the man that has a son who has a problem, or the son that has the problem. And understand that is the true mountain. Your true mountain is not up here. Your true mountain is where your ministry is. I'm going to say it again so y'all can hear it. Your real mountain is not here. It's where ministry is. For Jason and for Dathan and for all these amazing men that serve up here, they have a mountain up here, but it's not the physical mountain that we are sitting on. It's not Hume Lake. That is not them. And if we're not careful, we will make an idol out of what God never intended for an idol to be made out of. Hume is not supposed to be your God. It is supposed to be a training ground where God pours into you so that when you leave the training ground, you can go to battle. And when they come off the mountain, they encounter a battle. Look at the text. The concept of coming down the mountain is that they have to endure a man whose son is demonically possessed. Please understand this, my brothers, is that every individual in this room will have to encounter some sort of mountain. Because if you don't have a mountain to encounter, he would have never taken you on a mountain to help you see the mountain that you're supposed to encounter is actually smaller than what you think it is. Up on this mountain, Fresno looks small. But when I'm in Fresno, Fresno looks enormous. I'm preaching and y'all ain't said nothing. <laughs> the higher you get in God, the smaller your demons are. But please understand, they're still devils. Do y'all hear what I'm saying? They come down from a mountain and they encounter a father that has a problem. Three problems. The man, the father has a problem. The son was the problem and the disciples couldn't fix the problem. And all three of them needed Jesus to be the problem solver. Every one of us fits into one of these categories. Either we have a problem, we are the problem, or we can't fix the problem. Say it again. Either we have a problem, we are the problem, or we can't fix the problem. (laughs) 
And if we're not careful, we will miss all three thinking that we are the problem solver. Understand what the text says. The text says that when they came off the mountain, the man came to them but kneeled and asked Jesus for help. Didn't ask the disciples. The three that are with Jesus on the mountaintop have just saw an experience and had an experience with Jesus like none other. So the man comes to them. However, he asks Jesus. He doesn't ask the men. Please understand this, brothers. Coming off this mountain, please do not, dis, do not miss the message. Just because you're up here does not mean when you leave here, you're Jesus. Pastors who are in the room, yes, when you're up here, you have this vision, you get a clear-cut understanding of what ministry is supposed to look like. When you leave here, men, when you leave this mountain up here, you see how great of a husband you are supposed to be, how great of a father, the flaws that you have endured while you are down off the mountain up here, you see exactly what you are supposed to be. But please do not miss it. When you're up, up here, you are only supposed to see Jesus. You are not Jesus. And if you leave this mountain with a false misunderstanding of who Jesus is, you will walk out of here thinking that you are him instead of being connected to him. And many of these disciples who are on the bottom of the mountain have a false understanding of the concept of who they are. Understand this when they leave this mountain. They they figure out and understand and look, the problem that is on the bottom of the mountain we cannot fix unless we are connected to the problem solver. This mountain is connected to Romans 7 and 15, where literally this boy oftentimes jumps into the water and oftentimes into the fire. Literally, he's asking the question that Paul asked in Romans 7, what's wrong with me? Oh, wretched man that I am, who will free me from this life of sin? Romans 7, 15, he literally says, what's wrong with me? I don't understand my actions. When I want to do good, evil is always present. And I wonder how many men in here could actually say the same thing. I don't want to do what I do. I don't want to sin the way that I sin. I don't want to continually ask for forgiveness and then the next second do the same thing that I just asked for forgiveness for. I don't want to have my eyes wonder and look at another woman. I don't want to creep in the middle of the night hopping on my phone to pull up a pornography site. I don't want the bottle. But for some reason, every time I stop, it keeps calling me back. Am I talking to myself, brothers? It is a mountain. That is your mountain. That is the mountain that's in front of you. And again, it is a mountain that you have to ask yourself, either I am the problem, I have a problem, or I can't fix the problem. But there is a common denominator that exists. It's the word problem. And it's a reoccurring problem that cannot be fixed by you. But Paul gives us the remedy and the answer to the problem in Romans 7, 24. He says, thank God, the answer is not the church. It's not a ministry I hop in and hop out of. It's not Alcoholic Anonymous. It's not the pastor. It's not the men's pastor. It's not Hume. It's not Jason King. It's not DJ Kreiner. It is not Oprah or Oprah or whatever you want to call her. It's not Dr. Phil. It's not a football game, a basketball game, or a men's retreat. The answer is one name that's above every name that every knee must bow and every tongue must confess. The answer is Jesus. I need every man to shout, Jesus. Jesus. 
every man shout Jesus. Jesus. High five the brother next to you and tell him the answer is Jesus. This mountain, this mountain that's in your life can only move when you put Jesus in front of it. Understand what a mountain is, brother. It's not a hill. A hill is something that Jack and Jill can go up. But a mountain is something you cannot climb over. You have to climb. A mountain is when you are tired of the hump being too big. It's when you've tried to move it, but it won't move. It's when you've discovered that you yourself are helpless to the mountain. It's when you are held captive to a particular sin that you can't shake or you've tried your best to get away from, but it won't get away from you. It's when you're trying to get away from the woman, but the woman won't escape you. It's when you're trying to get away from the sight, but the sight won't get away from you. Understand the boy has a problem. He is trying to get away from it, but it won't get away from him. It's held him captive. It is different from an addiction. It's when the addiction is addicted to you. It's called you're being held captive. It's called a spiritual stronghold. It's when you don't want it, but it wants you. I'm preaching to some brother in here. It's different when you want it and you won't let it go. But it's different, brothers, when you want to let it go, but it won't let you go. That's called spiritual warfare. It's where this boy is. He says, I am on fire and I jump in water. And after I finish cooling off, for some reason, I jump back into the fire. He's having seizures. Something is wrong with him, an epileptic. And the problem is, is we are attempting to fight a spiritual battle with human, with human frailties. We are attempting to be a superhero when we are really just a hero. It is not our job to all of a sudden turn into an X-Man or a mighty Morphin freaking Power Ranger. That is not what God called you to do. It is your job that whenever a mountain is in front of you and it has a hold on you and you want to let it go to turn it over to the only man that's hands were strong enough to stay on the cross, feet were strong enough to be nailed in it, body was strong enough to be pierced in it, and head was strong enough to have 32 thorns in it, and a tomb wasn't strong enough to keep him. You cannot fight this battle. You have to turn it over to Jesus Christ. the concept. But here's the confusion. The confusion comes in verses 16 and 19. He says, I tried to holler at your disciples. I called Jason. I called Pastor Chiefs. <laughs> and they couldn't do anything with him. The father clearly says, while you was up there, Jesus, hanging out with Peter, James, and John, having a kumbaya Xbox One Call of Duty moment up on a mountain. I tried to talk to Judas, Matthew, Bartholomew, and them, and they couldn't do it. The father clearly says, I thought your boys could do what you could do, but they got their butts whooped just like my son did. He said, is it that they don't have power? is that they don't know you the way they think they do. Let me explain the confusion. The confusion that the disciples had is that they did have power, but they were diagnosing the problem incorrectly. 
They were looking at an external problem instead of an internal problem to diagnose it. They thought that he had a mental issue, but really he had a spiritual issue. And his physical impairments had a spiritual cause. His external activity was due to an internal problem. Let me explain. If you have fruit that is rotten, you are a fool if you think that just taking the rotten fruit off will fix the tree. Many times it's not the fruit. It's where the tree is planted. If you plant a tree in contaminated soil, the fruit from that tree will be contaminated. And in their minds, they thought the issue was that the fruit was bad. But they kept noticing every time they picked a bad fruit, another bad fruit would grow. If the fruit is consistently bad, it doesn't mean that the produce is bad. It means that the soil is contaminated. And understand this, brothers. If the fruit that you continue to bear is constantly sinful, stop looking at the internet site as the problem. Maybe make sure that your roots are planted in the right soil. If you keep trying to fix the external problem, but never address the internal issue, you will always have external problems. Let me explain, because some of you are looking at me like, duh. <laughs> there is a story that is told of a 1947 experiment from an insane asylum where in order for patients to be out of the insane asylum, this psychologist would take them through a test. He would put two patients in a room, fill the room up with faucets, turn the water on, and then give them a mop. If he walked to the door, looked in the window, and saw that they were mopping the floor, they would have to stay in the insane asylum. I'm preaching and y'all ain't heard it. They were trying to clean up the mess without turning off the faucet. And the problem is, is we are trying to clean up mess without turning off the source of the problem. Understand this, you cannot get out of an addiction if you're still hanging out with the addict. You cannot escape alcohol by still going to the bar. You cannot get rid, y'all don't hear me, man. You cannot get rid of the woman that you are having an affair with your wife on if you keep giving her a call and accepting the text messages. You have to stop the source of the problem in order to eliminate the problem. I need a brother to high five somebody and say that's some good stuff right there. What the disciples needed to understand was that it was not the boy that was the problem. It was the spirit that was connected to the boy that wouldn't let the boy go. And that is what Jesus is saying to them. When Jesus says to them, you perverse generation, what he is saying to the disciples is that your eyes, based on the Greek, perverse means crooked. It means looking everywhere. It means your eyes should be on one thing, but it's focused on five different other things 
things and then trying to put one thing primary. It's the exact thing that Jesus was doing on the mountaintop with Peter, James, and John. It's when Elijah and Moses showed up and their eyes went to Elijah and Moses instead of Jesus. What the scripture is saying is you cannot move a mountain if your eyes are focused on everybody else instead of the mountain mover. But when your eyes are focused on Jesus, it is not you that moves mountains, it is Jesus that moves the mountain. Whenever you are in a situation where it's sheer confusion, where the son is confused because he's hopping from fire to water, where the father is confused because he brought him to the disciples instead of Jesus. Y'all don't hear me, man. And then where the disciples are confused because in their minds we just did something like this before and we were able to cast out demons. I mean, in Mark chapter 6, 13, Jesus already gives them instruction. He says that you will cast out many demons and anoint many who are sick with oil and heal them. But please understand this. You cannot operate today on yesterday's power. I'm going to say it again. I need you to repeat after me. Look at someone and point at him and say, you cannot operate today on yesterday's power. Meaning every single day, if his mercy is new every day, so is his power. If Jesus had power yesterday to heal your sins, he has power today to heal your other sins. And you cannot leave this mountain attempting to operate on mountaintop power in the valley. You have to ask God the same power you gave me on a mountain. Give me new power when I get to the valley. Why? Because every day there are new demons and there are new devils. When you defeat one devil, please don't think that your devil gives up, throws in the towel, and does what Roberto Duran did, no mas. Please understand that your devil never gives up until you are defeated and you are kicked out the ring by your own regards. You have to step in the ring, brothers, every day, not like a woman, but like a man. You have to put your big pants on, your big boy drawers on, and you have to step in the ring with your gloves on, with your mouth guard in, and with your head up. You cannot tell a devil that is in the ring today what you did to a devil that was in the ring yesterday. You cannot operate and think just because you won yesterday means that you can win today. If you stepped in the ring with Jesus yesterday, brother, you have to step in the ring with Jesus today. You have to do what the old African-American grandmothers used to tell every African-American child when they woke up every morning. Wake up in the morning with your mind stayed on Jesus. Walk and talk with your mind stayed on Jesus because the moment you get your mind off of Jesus is the moment the enemy comes in and tries to destroy you. But I declare and I decree over every man in here no weapon that is formed against you shall prosper. Yeah. 